Welcome to a talk from St. Saviour's Sunbury. We hope that it blesses you. Hello, I'm Rowena. This is really short, and I'm really short, so it must be really short. Um, that's not what the talk's about, short people. That would be a very uninteresting talk. But my name's Rowena, and for those of you that don't know me, I um, work for the church, and I look after evangelism and mission and discipleship. So, today, that reading, which I've been delving into, and it's nice and short, but that's always helpful, but it's a bad thing. We're going to be talking about discipleship today. So, here at St. Saviour's, we see that as radically transforming lives in the love and power of Jesus. And as always, that starts with us. And it starts with the renewing of our mind. And he starts with us so that we can then go out and transform our community one person at a time. And to make disciples, we have to be one ourselves. So ask yourself now, am I really a true disciple? The word disciple just simply means a follower of Jesus. So are you a follower of Jesus? Maybe you haven't made that decision yet, or maybe you're expecting him to follow you in life. Maybe you don't feel worthy to be a disciple. or Maybe you've lost your way a little bit. When someone asked me the question, do I follow Jesus or do I expect him to follow me? I was like, ooh, ouch, thanks. But it's a powerful question, isn't it? If you ask yourself, do I follow Jesus or do I expect him to follow me where I'm going? So my readings lately have been in numbers. Numbers is hard. Who else think, who's read numbers? Anyone read numbers? It's hard, isn't it? It's not a lot of numbers, interestingly. <laughs> Don't know why it's called numbers, but there's not a lot of numbers. Anyway, in numbers nine, the people faithfully followed the cloud and the cloud represented God. And they moved when they were told, they stopped when they were told. Would we do that? I'm not sure. Are we prepared to follow God wherever he takes us, including stopping and starting at totally bizarre times, going through fire and wind and rain, and trust that he can see round the corner even if we can't? Or would we be the ones moaning? There are a lot of moaners in there, and it makes me laugh. I could just imagine them going, are we there yet? Seriously? Why is it taking so long? Egypt was way better than this. Why can't it end now? I don't want manna anymore, I want meat. Now, I would never say that because I'm a vegetarian, but they wanted meat. They got meat. I think they regretted asking for meat, but they sounded like children, didn't they? Just whining. They were seeing all this amazing stuff and just whining. Why? Because they were focused on their worldly comfort and not their heavenly goal. And I love the very human line Moses says in Numbers 11, which is basically, how can I get these people to listen to you? Seriously, if this is it, Lord, kill me now. I'm like, I like that line. I laugh every time I read that because it's such an understandable yet overdramatic response, isn't it? And I'm very overdramatic, so that's probably why I relate to it. I have no idea why I find it encouraging, but I do. 
that Moses, who was a totally unlikely person to be a disciple, wasn't he? And he did a lot, but he was totally unlikely. He actually saw and talked with God, had huge favor, and he still got frustrated and went, kill me now, Lord. That's what whiners will do to you, man, I'm telling you. And what did God do at that moment? What did he do? Did he tell him off? No. He said to him, go and get. I can't remember how many people it was. Wasn't it seven or 70 or what? It was an amount. He said, go and get an amount of leaders and I will anoint them to help you. So he recognized he was overwhelmed and said, I'll help you. And that's what he wants to do for us too. That loving response he had to Moses is the response he wants to have for us. For us to give our life entirely to him and allow him to anoint us for his purpose. And he'll give us what we need to actually do that. Just like John McGinley, wasn't he awesome last week? If you, haven't heard, if you weren't here, go and listen to him online. He was amazing. He said so beautifully, it's like a loving parent. If you fall down as a child, they don't get cross. They just say, up you get and keep going. And that's God. That's a, I thought that really was a beautiful analogy. And if we look at the first part of that Bible reading where it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. I think this is an awesome line. And I think quite a few people, you might not remember, but they've talked about this in very different ways over the last few weeks in their talks. But this line is out of an awesome book. Romans is an awesome book written by Paul, who definitely lived out letting God transform him, didn't he? He went from like murdering Christians to like going, Jesus is great, you know. And the book of Romans is about Paul giving us a framework for being a follower of Jesus and reminding us that following Jesus will be the biggest job we're ever asked to undertake. Do you realize that? The following Jesus is the biggest job you're ever going to be given here on earth. And like most jobs, jobs take work, don't they? They take work. And notice in the passage it says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It doesn't say by changing the way you feel. And I think this is the first clue as to how to actually achieve being a true disciple. Learning to follow the truth with thought rather than your feelings all the time. I'm reading a book at the moment. I say reading. I'm still on chapter three. I dip. I'm a dipper. I'm reading about three books at once. But that's how I do it. And I'm reading this book, and it's called Choose Joy. And it's written by a woman who is, um, is married to a pastor, and they pastor a massive church in America, and she's called Kay Warren. And she says when her and her husband have an argument, her feelings get hurt, and she finds it really hard to speak to him again. That, of course, is none of us here, is it? I find it easy to forgive Ron when he on the odd occasion upsets me <laughs> which he never does he never hurts my feelings you have no idea how many lies I've just told in one <laughs> sentence sorry but we'll go back to Kay please for the sake of my marriage we'll go back to Kay she said her husband would be ready to talk of course he is he gets there a lot quicker than women because he's kind of had his say and he's done. Just saying, didn't write that down, just came to me now. Definitely, definitely need to move back to Kay rather quickly. But she said her husband would be ready to talk, but she would need to wait 
for her feelings to change. We can all imagine how long that takes, can't we? Those of you that are married, all the men there are sniggering to themselves. Yes, my wife takes only two minutes. She's brilliant. Rick's is laughing a lot. <laughs> Iram, not so much. But then someone shared something with her that changed how she thought. They said to her, what we think determines how we act, and how we act determines how we feel. I was like, ooh. So her problem was that she was operating on the belief that she needed to feel differently before she could act differently. But this revelation for her was actually the formulas reversed. Our thinking changes first. Our actions come next, and our feelings follow. I love that. I hadn't really, that, that's like awesome. That is right up there with I'm telling you the story again and I'm going to keep telling you till I get it. Basically, Martin Smith told you he's not in delirious. He was in our previous church. Tall man, looks like Father Christmas. He is the one that used to come up to me and say things and as soon as he was coming to me, I knew I'd, that God had something to say and I'd probably done something wrong. So I was always looking forward to seeing him and he's walking towards me in the high street and he says, Ro, you see the problem with you is... I was like, did I, what did I just say? Did I ask you what the problem with me is? I haven't got time for that today. He said, the problem with you is you're like a train. I was like, well, I've heard worse. He said, the train, your train bit, the engine, is your feelings, and God is in the carriage behind. <laughs> Thanks. He said, what you need to do is swap those over. Swap them over. Let God be the engine. And you can have your feelings in the carriage behind. How, would, how much would I enjoy hearing that? It was great. In the middle of the high street. So I just stomped off down the road going, you know, whatever. You don't know anything about me. You don't know how I feel. Just kind of proved his point, really, to be fair. When I went away and reflected, it's like this. It's true. If you're a follower of Jesus... What he says, what the Bible says, comes first. Otherwise, you just follow your feelings like me. You're like you're on a permanent helter-skelter roller coaster, all mashed up into one, which generally, the bottom of which is a big dark pit. It's not leading you to the light. They're going down, these things. And Kay Warren said that instead of rehearsing the argument in her head, she start, which none of us never do, she started to rehearse God's word in her mind, and once her thoughts were back on track and in harmony with God's, she could make the right choices, whether she felt like it or not. Revelation for me, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's powerful. Annoying, but powerful, isn't it? And this is what I think this passage is talking about. For, the, for us to be disciples and give our bodies for his service, we need to allow God to transform our thinking which the passage then goes on to say will allow us to learn God's will for our life, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And I don't know about you, but I really want that. I really want God's will for my life because his will for my life is going to be well, way better than mine. It's got to be, right? Yeah, see, that's why I've written the next bit. Not so much of the conviction there that God's, better, God's will's better for my life than mine. You're all sitting there going, yes, but no. I just take a little bit of control. I'm just keeping a bit, God, because that's the bit. If I've got a bit of control, I can, I'll feel a bit safer. 
Everything will be all right. But just sit still and meditate in that question for a minute. Do you really believe that your plan for your life is better than the one God has for you? Really? Just look at me for goodness sake. That can't be true. His will must be better than mine. So what stops us? I think some of what I talked about last time, I say talked, rather sobbed last time, is what we believe about ourselves. If like me, you believe deep down in your soul that you are horrible, worthless, insert your own word there, if that is what you believe, then how would you know and how would you trust that God doesn't see you that way? He doesn't look at you and see those words you think about yourself. He looks at you and sees a wonderful person and he has a wonderful plan for. So if that is still you, like me, and you still don't believe that about yourself, you still don't know yet that you are beautifully and wonderfully made, then when we get to the response, come, come and let us pray for you. I also think it's what the first part of Romans 12.2 alludes to that holds us back from being a whole life disciple. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. And we do that, don't we? We forget, well I do, I forget or you never even realize in the first place why we're here, why you're actually here. We get sucked into worldly ways like it says in Ecclesiastes 1 and 2. You can see all my readings are really, really challenging right now. So Ecclesiastes 1 and 2, I'd I'd encourage you to go and read them because they were a massive eye-opener for me. In Ecclesiastes, it describes the futility of pleasure. It says, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. That's Ecclesiastes 2.1. I didn't just say that. That's what it says there. And in a verse that follow it, he then says he's going to cheer himself with wine. We've all done that, haven't we? Or is that just me again? Clearly, it's all me. You're all sorted. But the pleasure is temporary. And we end up seeking more of it because it's fleeting. And in the end, worse than that, we feel we need more of it. So we have to chase more and more and more of it to seek that pleasure again. Or more accurately, numb the pain that we have. So what is your worldly custom or your behavior that you follow. And it's not always a dramatic thing like drugs or alcohol. Most worldly pleasures are a lot more subtle because that's how the enemy rolls. Gossip, the pursuit of money, the fear of not having money, shopping, a desire for lovely clothes, a car, house, all normal stuff. I still have a way to go with that. God is still working on me as to the difference between want and need. And it's worth saying that in the book that I'm doing, which is called The Way of Wisdom by Tim Keller, it says, he says, the reason the way of the world, that's how he calls it, is so unfulfilling and doesn't ever seem to satisfy that hole and hunger in us is because it goes against God's original design and purpose for us. And that was a big light bulb moment for me. That no matter how hard I strive in the world, if I'm going against God's purpose for me, then I'm always going to feel that hole. I'm never going to be able to fill it with anything, no matter what it is, because it's not how I was designed to be. And we start by accepting that when God looks at us, he sees beauty. 
that in him we are beautifully and wonderfully made. That when he made the world, he looked and decided it had a Stuart-shaped hole, a Jess-shaped hole, never sit on the front row. I'm blind, I can't really see beyond there. That's what he decided. He looked and said, look at Tracy, we need one of her. And it's by believing this verse in Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. Hands up who believes he's talking about them. Well, that just about says it all, doesn't it? I've only just learned he means me. We are chosen. We are loved. We are accepted. So there's nothing we can't do, right? But like any relationship, it takes work. We then need to commit to work hard to stay close to him. Being a follower of Christ is not just about turning up and receiving. He needs us to give of ourselves to him. You want to know why? Well, I'm telling you anyway, whether you do or not, because you're quite mute this morning, to be fair. I was until I got up here as well. It's because it's good for us. It's good for our souls. It's how we were designed to be. It's how he designed us and the world to be, to serve. And it's how we realize, that's how we realize what his beautiful and perfect plan is for us. And it's worth noting at this point that our relationship with God is our responsibility. It's nobody else's. It's not the church's responsibility. It's not your best mate's responsibility or your husband or your wife. It's yours. It's ours. And it takes work. I've mentioned that four times. It's such a lovely word for you all, isn't it? Work. But if you actually do it, it doesn't feel like work. It refreshes your soul like nothing else. Reading your Bible, praying. Do you remember the three-week Bible challenge? I'm not going to ask who did it, because that's between you and him. But a beautiful lady in our congregation kindly came to me and shared that they're doing it. And they came to encourage me. That was her words. That it was changing how they thought about stuff. And that they'd understood my sermon more because they'd been reading the Bible. And that beautiful lady said to me, if Roe can do it, I can do it. Praise God. Isn't that awesome? Transforming of your mind. And if we don't read our Bibles, then how do we know what his voice sounds like? If we don't know what his voice sounds like, how can our minds be transformed? He may be speaking to us all the time, but his voice is being drowned out by all the worldly noise that we have in our heads, in our lives, in our homes. And if you're not sure how to read your Bible or where to start, then just start with the UCB word for today. It's so Lowbrow, that's where I started. Everything I do is lowbrow. If you just copy me, you'll be fine. If I can do it, you can do it. It's a great devotional. Or go and speak to someone in the leadership team or all of them and ask them what they're doing. That'll be a nice conversation. Because if they're not doing something, they're going to have to go, um, let's make something up quickly. Or talk to the person next to you. That's controversial, isn't it? Speak to the person next to you and ask them what they're doing and then encourage each other on. All I can tell you is that since I've started to spend time with him every day, 
funnily enough, his voice and presence have got louder. And the truth is starting to drown out some of the lies. Since reading my Bible, he's broken a chain off me I've carried as long as I can remember. God didn't change. I did. I did. And I've started the process of allowing God. And the key word there is allowing him. We need to allow him, open our hearts and allow him to transform us into new people. And that doesn't mean that God thought I was a bad person before. Let's just make that quite clear. He's not saying, I am not saying, he is not saying, you're a bad person, you need to change. It's not about that. Far from it. He just wants me to be the best version of me so I can be salt and light here where he's asked me to be and placed me to be. And I can't wait to see what he does next. I literally have no idea from one day to the next what I am going to be doing, saying, thinking, whatever. But I also can't wait to see what he does with you guys next. My burning heart's desire is for all of you to know how wonderful you really are. Because I know some of you don't. For you to see yourself how God sees you. For you to see yourself how I see you would be a start. I cannot tell you the blessing it is to be part of this amazing church family with the rich tapestry of gifts we have here. I look at you all and I cannot believe that God blessed us and sent us here. It's like, seriously, this is a job? I don't feel like a job. It's like a proper privilege. And I look at you all and I see light in you. Some of you I see on fire. Some lights burning brighter each day that I see you. And some of you just starting the journey of that realization of how loved you are is just starting to dawn on you now. But I also see some of you feel their light's gone out. That either your light has gone out or it's been diminished by like huge pain, huge pain that you're going through right now. So I just really felt prompted by God to say, know that we see you and that he sees you. But somewhere in the Bible it says he collects our tears in a jar. He sees you if that's you and you don't feel the way I'm talking about today. And it aches my heart, literally aches my heart that some of you still don't know how wonderful you are. That God means you and he's calling you. And if that's you, please, please, when we go into a time of response, come and let us pray for you. Don't think, oh, he doesn't mean me. It's got to be someone else. I can't get up and ask for prayer. Yes, you can. He does mean you, and we want to pray for you. We are all disciples of his, so we can go out into our area of influence, wherever that may be, and help people's lives to be radically transformed in the love and power of Jesus. So I thought today it would be wonderful to recommission ourselves as his disciples this morning, as a church family. And what you need to know, I'm just going to say it, I don't want to say it, but I'm feeling God going, just say it, is that somebody here, or one or many of you, something is going to happen this morning, something that is going to free you and set you free, because last night, the panic and terror in me, it was horrific. It was awful. I didn't go to bed till one. I couldn't sleep properly. The the fear, I've cried four times before I even stood here this morning. The fear that has gripped me 
and someone sent me a message. I posted on this Facebook page for Vicar's Wives and Husband, and they prayed, and they prayed. And she sent me a message and went, you get up and speak, even if you don't want to, because somebody there, God's got something to say. So I'm standing here when I don't feel like I can, because he told me to, because he loves you so much that he wants one of you to be prayed over, to, to be released from whatever it is you're carrying. So we're gonna, I'm going to lead us in a prayer now. And I do this at the end of Esther. I've only added it in recently. And it's a recommissioning prayer. So if you want to give your life afresh to Jesus for his service today and say, no matter what I think of myself, here is my life, Lord. Lead it afresh in this season then just say the words I'm going to say. If you've never said this prayer, then you join in and say the prayer too if that is what you want to do. And come and tell us afterwards so we can support you and love you on your journey. But I'm going to ask you all to stand up and we're going to pray. And I'm going to say the prayer slowly. I'm going to say the prayer slowly so that you can just, no one can see you because we've all got our eyes closed. So you can just repeat the prayer if that is what you want to do today. Let's pray. Dear God, I want to recommit my life to you today. You can say it out loud if any of you want to. Or you can say it in your heart. You choose. Dear God, I want to recommit my life to you today. Please help me to become the person you created me to be. Enable me to always live a life that is pleasing to you. I want to be a witness to others of your saving grace and power. Forgive me when I take back control of my life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Renew my passion to walk more closely with you. You know all my desires and plans. Help me to fulfill your unique call and purpose in my life. Renew my heart. Restore the joy of my salvation. Yes, Lord. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Lord, thank you for this hope I have in you. Yes. Use my life to bring you glory, honor, and praise. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for hearing and answering my prayer. In your name, amen. For more information about St. Saviour's, please visit www.stsaviourssunbury.org.uk.